Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I'm here in studio with Pastor Nick Plummer, and we are studying the Torah portion yet again. And this week, Beishalach, which is when he sent. You could find this Torah portion in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, starting at verse 17 and ending in chapter 17, verse 16. So this uh, is a very exciting Torah portion. A lot of a lot of big events happen here. Some some miracles, some murmuring and complaining. Uh, I think we might be able to talk about all of it, huh? Oh, I think we're going to get through this. This is going to be a wonderful time to check this all out. You know, once again, the book of Exodus, it starts with a groan, but it ends with a glory. Hallelujah. Is that your story of your life right now? Yeah. <laughs> You're starting with a groan, but we're going to end with glory. And I mean, course, I think uh, any given day includes groan and glory. That's it. A key word is deliver, found in the book of Exodus. So we are in Beishalach when he sent. So who's he? Pharaoh. Sent him out. He says, get out of here. I've had enough. Beat it. You know, we can't take any more, you know. And so he finally releases them, we know reluctantly, but uh, right out of the gate here. What was the reason God led his people through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea instead of through the land of the Philistines? Uh, well, he didn't think they could handle war, so he wanted to take them a roundabout way to avoid war. Think about all of us as we grow and mature in our, in our, in our belief system, in our walk with the Word and the Spirit. You know, he wanted to avoid war. They had a slave mentality. And uh, they weren't ready just to go out and hit the enemy, you know. And so we learn. We learn how the enemy works and all these other things. And so uh, we see this uh, big group of people leaving Egypt. And so whose bones did Moses take out of Egypt in Exodus 13, 19? Yosef. Joseph's bones. Joseph's which, bones. Which in, Joseph made them promise that they would do it. And in they Genesis are 50, 25, good. we have something very interesting here. He says right here, And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. What's this a picture of, Ryan? This is a picture of the house of Joseph, the, the non-Jews wanting to go back into the land. That's what they want. Hmm, that's interesting. The, uh, the next question, number three, where did the children of Israel camp after leaving Sukkot? Uh, the answer is Etham. Etham? How, how do you pronounce that? Do you have any? <laughs> get, your, get your Hebrew out there. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a good answer. That's interesting. What, what verse is that? That's our default. Uh, that's going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 13, verse 20, and it says, And they took their journey from Sukkot and encamped in Etham, uh, Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And uh, and obviously, how did they get there? Uh, then the following two verses uh, are, are important because we talk about this, about being led by God. Uh, in verse 21, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them, by, uh, lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And so this is a way that God was able to lead them uh, in the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You know, something just to think about going back to Joseph, we could just camp out with Joseph, but... Um, we can always his tomb is actually <laughs> found in the modern day city of Nablus, which is Shechem, which means on the shoulder of uh, Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal, right there. 
Shechem uh, means on the shoulders of. And so Joseph's tomb is right, right down in there with the modern day city of Nablus, which is of course controlled by the Palestinians, uh, an Arab city. But uh, I had the opportunity to bless my two sons uh, with the blessing uh, of, uh, of, of Joseph upon the children that, and even Jacob's blessing upon them. Uh, and um, just seeing uh, Josiah and Nehemiah as I blessed them and can see over their shoulders the tomb of Joseph was a very powerful moving moment for me. Uh, but, you know, once again, uh, Joseph is a very um, respected individual. He's considered a righteous man. And uh, the Jews actually by night will go and visit this particular tomb uh, where Joseph's bones are under the under the watchful eye of the IDF. But, you know, thinking about this is very interesting it's only because here he is, he's going to lead the people, a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And if you think about the cloud, you know, this is why nobody got sunburnt. I believe the cloud covered the people. And the sun didn't just directly just pound them, you know, like we could see yeah. even today. And so what's going to happen when the children of Israel left Egypt? What did Pharaoh do? He pursued them. You know, real quick back to the, the pillar of the cloud and the fire. Uh, I think it's important for us, you know, I think the Exodus story uh, and the coming out of Egypt is not just a story of the Israelites and a nation being born and going through, you know, trials and tribulations up to, you know, salvation. But it's everybody's personal story. And for in everybody's life, God is leading them. God is a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire. He's always there. He's ever-present, and He's leading us. And our job is to follow it. And I think that what happens to us many times when we feel like we're off the mark is because we've kept our eyes off of the cloud. The cloud is up ahead of us, and we're focusing on something else rather than our redemption. I feel like... We're the, focusing the cloud, on the Pharaoh. <laughs> I feel like the cloud is moving at Beit Tehila. It's moving yeah. over the Orthodox Jews. Amen. So as this cloud moves <clears throat> towards the natural branches, and we're the wild branches, we need to, to seize this opportunity, you know. Uh, and that's what we're really seeing right now. We're seeing an opportunity to have a relationship with the Jewish people uh, in the land, and, and that's exciting. But once again, as we look at this particular scenario, anytime that we want to uh, pursue something of God, something's pursuing us. Amen. And here uh, comes Pharaoh. And the enemy does not <clears throat> want to let you go. The enemy does not want to let you go. You have That's to remember right. that. It's not easy to get away from the enemy. He doesn't want to let you go. And so the people were afraid. <clears throat> they cried unto the Lord. They were so afraid. They cried unto the Lord. And, and in uh, Exodus uh, 14, 13, Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. So stand still. And see the salvation. And of course, we know that that word in Hebrew is Yeshua. See Yeshua. Be still and see Yeshua, you know. Uh, and when Yeshua was on the cross, uh, there were those around the cross. Imagine that. Stand still and see the salvation That's of right. the Lord. And that next verse is awesome, too. It says, the Lord, verse 14 in uh, chapter 14. So fourteen, fourteen, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Oh, yeah. The Lord is going to fight for us. Amen. You know, when you have a, a belief system, when you believe something and, and the Father has revealed it to you, uh, He will bring it to pass. He will He will actually get you uh, through it. And this is what we're going to see with this wall of water. And so the uh, actually, uh, how were the Israelites going to get away from Pharaoh and his army with the sea at their backs? So the sea is at their backs and here comes Pharaoh. So there's nowhere to go. Where are they going to go? Uh, I don't even know if they can swim. Yeah, well, obviously we all take this for granted. I mean... You know, anybody can divide a sea, right? Well, it's, it's dividing it. Imagine that. <laughs> <clears throat> and so the angel of God 
uh, stood behind them. So the angel of God stood behind them. So is this the pillar like of fire? A, it's like a buffer zone here. It says the, it, it's the angel of God yeah. took a position uh, behind. So before four, the camp of Israel, he stood behind them, the angel of God. And so we see in Exodus 14, 20, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, mm-hmm. but it gave light by night to these so that the one came not near the other all the night. The angel of God. So basically, the, the it says the cloud or the pillar of fire, or maybe it's the same in one, went moved from in front of the Egyptian. I'm sorry, in front of the Israelites to behind them, blocking the way of the Egyptians from getting to them. Right. There was, it was like a buffer zone. Yeah. That's yeah. It awesome. was like a DMZ. That's and crazy. So, you that's know, awesome. I mean, the thing <clears throat> is, Ryan, if we're returning, don't you think we have angels going before us? Amen. And actually, Michael the archangel in Daniel, the book of Daniel, towards the end there, he he's over Israel, and. Uh, so Moses is going to stretch out his hand over the sea, <clears throat> and it says right here in Exodus fourteen twenty one, question number 14 in the Torah questionnaire, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. That's awesome. They were divided, and uh, he made the sea dry land, so imagine that. Here, here's a here's a and think about the bed of a, yeah the bed of any sea. I mean, if you go to the beach and you start walking in the water <laughs> and how your feet start to sink in. I mean, imagine these people had carts, the and mud, and the rocks, and, yeah. and everything. I mean, horses, but, but, or but that's camels. that's the miracle to me. Yeah, that they didn't get stuck. Their wagons didn't get stuck. They all trekked across. It didn't say they got stuck. You know, and and so some some people don't think that God has a sense of humor. But uh, question number fifteen in Exodus fourteen twenty five, when the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. And were pursued by the Egyptians. What did the Lord do to the Egyptians' chariots? And so it starts in verse 24. There says, And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. So basically, their wheels fell off of yeah, their chariots. they took off their wheels. They couldn't even get across. You know, think about it. They had the same dry land And that, it said they had Israel 600 did. chariots. So that's, that's a lot of chariots with wheels yeah, falling off. six. And so, you know, what happened to the Egyptians when Moses was told by the Lord to stretch out his hand over the sea a second time, Exodus 14, 28. So, so what happened? They all cried out. They all drowned. <laughs> so once again, God's going to use water for judgment. You know, uh, he's going to use water. For judgment, they all drowned. And, if, and here's the response in Exodus 14, 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So once again, even up to the point of miracles and saving them and helping them, they're still coming from the Lord. That's awesome. And so in, in question number 19 in Exodus 15, too, this is incredible. You know, how many times... Have, have we experienced this in our own life? What did the Lord become for the children of Israel? Uh, he became their salvation. It says, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Wow. Salvation. You know, salvation, it says in, in the scriptures, salvation belongs to our God. Amen. You know, it's a gift to mankind, you know. Uh, fallen angels, Satan, demons, they don't get salvation. 
only the homo sapien race gets gets salvation. So we, we need to thank the Father for that, that as a God who's all-knowing and all-powerful and ever-present, uh, what a great God we serve, that he wants to save us, you know. Uh, okay. That's interesting because the deist, you know, that particular belief system is that God doesn't care about the affairs of man but I'm telling you, he really does care about us, even to the point of the Lord is a man of what in Exodus 15, 3? Uh, Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a man of what, Ryan? It says that he, the Lord is a man of war. He is a man of war. So as the Father reveals himself to you, and as you begin to walk this out and, and, and get a rebuttal or get some criticism or some things start to come into your path that, that aren't really good to, to heed your traveling to the Father's house, uh, the Lord is a man of war, and it means in the sense of fighting a battle. So the battle belongs to our Lord. You know, the battle belongs to the Lord, and uh, he is a man of war. And so as we see this restoration and regathering of the whole house of Israel, uh, your own worst enemy is yourself, and you need to overcome yourself and pursue the Lord on this journey and be grafted into the olive tree. Yeshua is the root, <clears throat> whether a natural branch or or a wild branch, and you need to come back because he will make war for you to return back to your inheritance. Well, and when God engages in war, do you think that he wins or loses? He is going to win every time. Yeah. And so I also say pick your battles. You know, Amen. Whatever the Father's revealed to you, whatever you want to live out, fight for it. Fight for it for all that you have. Nothing worse than at the end of your days, figuring out that the ladder that you chose to climb up that wall, and, and, and that was the wrong battle. So question number 21, Exodus 15, 6. What two things did the Lord's right hand do? The Lord's right hand. Uh, They became glorious in power and dashed in pieces the enemy. So, I mean, just back to the the fact that he's a, a man of war. I mean, God is victorious. God does not go into a battle and lose. And so, you know, when you when you say somebody's a man of war, you're not thinking of the losing army. You know, that, no. that it has implied in there that God's going to win, and he only goes into battles that are going to exercise his will and, and make his plan go forth in the earth. And once again, I want to remind everyone, the Lord's right hand is Yeshua. Amen. With an outstretched arm, I saved you. Think about it. Wow. With an outstretched arm, he died on the cross. You know, how much did he love us? This much. Stretch out your arms, you know. So number one, he became glorious. This is a picture of Yeshua. John 17, 1. Here's John's. Uh, prayer of Yeshua. He's praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. So Yeshua is going to get the glory. But look at this in verse 5 of 17 of John. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world. Wow. Before time immemorial, Yeshua was. So here he is. He became glorious, right? And then, of course, dash in pieces the enemy. Who's going to dash in pieces the enemy? Look at this, John 16, 11. I love this. Flipping over here. We're, we're into the uh, deity of Yeshua as well, and here's the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, Ryan. Now check this out. He dashed in pieces the enemy. That's what their Lord's right hand did. And we can find this even in the New Testament, John 16, 11, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The devil has been judged. The sentence has not been carried out, but he has been judged and defeated on the cross. And if we go to 1 John 3, 8, I love this. 
These are the voice. These are the you know. I say the voices, but when when the voice of the enemy comes into your camp, give him your voice. Uh, that's what you need to do. You need to say it say it clearly what the scriptures say as as far as uh, the works of the devil. The Yeshua is going to destroy them. First John three eight, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil, Ryan. So here we have a picture of Yeshua right in here. He's glorified. He's defeated the devil. And we can walk in that assuredly because it even goes on to say, because, you know, the uh, enemy wants to do all these things out of spite. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Even look at our government today with the shutdown and everything that's happening. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And the hardest thing for our government is unity. Have you, have you noticed that? Hardest thing unity for everybody is unity. is the hardest thing, I'll yeah. tell you. But once you get it, it is awesome. But in Exodus 15, 9, this is what it says here. This is how mad the enemy is at you for loving the Lord and following him. The enemy said, I will pursue you, Ryan. I will overtake you. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. I'll destroy you, Ryan. I'm coming after you. This is amazing because my hand shall destroy. Actually, the Hebrew word is, the connotation is, I will repossess them. Wow. Now, Satan doesn't possess anything, but he wants to take you back. He wants you to be defeated. Yeah. Something should rise up inside of you to say, I've had enough of you, devil. The enemy does not want to let you go. Replace familiar spirits for the Holy Spirit. Just have enough. Say, replace familiar spirits for the Holy Spirit, you know? <clears throat> and, and so what do we have here? We're going to have a great response to God's judgment and freedom. Exodus 15, 20. What did Miriam the prophetess do after crossing the Red Sea? You know, my uh, my daughters have um, like a little tapestry, kind of like what we have up in our sanctuary that uh, Linda Carter made for them. That is uh, uh, basically the picture of this, of, of Miriam, that she's happy, so she danced, and then all the women joined in took with her. Took a timbrel in her hand. That's right. So she took a timbrel and she danced. And, uh, you know, Beit Tehillah, the ministry here, has restored the dance, and we do dance, uh, Hebraic dance or Davidic dance, um, or what we call Hebrew folk dance, um, in a pure way in order to take dancing, something that has been perverted by the world, and give it to God in praise and worship to Him. Okay, well, look at at the response here. You know, we, we move forward, He fights for us, we celebrate, and then what happens? We go, we go into a lull again. Question number 26, question number 26, did the people murmur against Moses because there was nothing to drink in Exodus 15, 24? Can we just skip that part? Cause like I'm, I'm on a high here, you know, we just came through the, you know, the, the sea of reeds, you know, we're now oh, yeah. dancing there was nothing for to joy drink, and they're coming against Moses oh, and, uh, See, and, and then, you know, ahead. and so in Exodus 15, 26, what would happen to the children of Israel, not only for their obedience to the voice of the Lord, but because they followed his commandments. Uh, well, the Lord would put no diseases upon them, but we, we can go back to the bitter water because I think the bitter water, you know, uh, here it's another miracle in God showing his power. You're talking about Exodus 15. I am. Uh, 15, yeah, 23, right? So 15, 23, that the water was bitter. Right. And then verse 24, the, the people murmured against Moses, but then God told him to take this tree and cast it into the water and it made the water sweet. Um, you know, to every problem, God has a solution. And God is asking us to trust him. And instead of murmuring and complaining, stop and look to him and he'll give us the answer. Uh, and I think part of the issue here is that we're seeing a pattern, right? God, God performs a miracle and yet we still doubt. 
And then God performs another miracle, brings us through it, and yet we still doubt. And so we're going to see this pattern coming through the rest of the 12 And I'm, I'm telling you, Ryan, here, here's the key to, for all of us. You know, it says right here, uh, follow his voice and commandments. You know, those are the two things that the prophets come at the people with of Israel all the time. The prophets say, you've quit listening to the voice of God and you've broken covenant. Mm-hmm. You're not keeping the commandments. That's and true. so, you know, that's what happens in our life, Ryan. We get comfortable. We start listening to other voices. Next thing you know, we're out of covenant, you know, and, and, right. and, and to our own demise. And uh, in Exodus 19, 5, he says, listen, if you hear my voice and keep my covenant, my commandments, you know, you will be above all people. Now, I'm not making this up. I'm saying that, what does that mean? We can be a people unto him. Right. He doesn't elevate you to, to be a hierarchy or prideful. He's elevating you to help others. Right. Come on, somebody. That's right. Follow his voice. Get rid of those voices, everybody. Get rid of those voices. Think about what Paul said. Take captive every thought, cast down vain imaginations. Amen. You know, start your life with good speech. Good speech. When Israel got to Elim, how many wells of water and palm trees were there? 12 wells and 70 palms. Interesting wow. numbers, eh? Oh, 12 and 70, huh? 12, 12 wells of water and 70 palm 70 trees. 70 palms. So 12 maybe uh, tribes, 12 disciples. And then 70 palm trees represents nations. Nations. So what about when we're coming out of Egypt? We're coming out of the world. Here are the tribes. And the nations. And the nations. <laughs> Come wow, on. Wow, that's good Hello. stuff. That is so good. Now, moving on towards the leadership in Exodus 16.3. What was the accusation the children of Israel charged Moses with when they thought they were going to die? Question number 31 of the Torah questionnaire. (laughs) Moses, you only brought us out of the wilderness to kill us. Now, here's the accusation. You brought us out to kill us. Watch the accusations are tough. But is that dumb? The Bible says to establish everything with two or more witnesses. We don't need accusations. Yeah, let me do all this fanfare and this hoopla, bring you through the Red Sea. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cut to the chase here. So the Lord hears what they're saying. And so he's going to rain bread from heaven, Exodus 16, 4. He's going to give them quail in Exodus 16, 13. And then, of course, uh, question number 34 in Exodus 16, 15. What did the children of Israel call the bread they gathered in the morning? They called it, what is this? Manna. 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 What is this? Manna, you know. And uh, on the sixth day, they gathered double portions for the next day. Uh, did it get wormy and stink? It did not. Exodus 16, It did not, but no. if they were to go and try to take a double portion on any other day, the amount left over for the next day would breed worms and stink. That's true. So they needed to get a double portion on, on, on the sixth day for the seventh day. The preparation What did the day. manna taste like? Uh, they said it tasted uh, like uh, wafers made with honey. Like wafers I, made with I honey. I like honey wafers. That, that sounds really good, you know. I like and, honey And uh, so here we have this uh, manna provision. And what did the Lord command the people to do for many generations in order to see the manna? So this is in uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 32 and 33. And what he wanted them to do was he wanted them to take an omer uh, of the manna and lay it up before the Lord and keep it before the testimony. And so it says here uh, in verse 30... Put it in the ark. Yep, put it in the ark. So it says, And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth, fill an omer... Of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot, and put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it up before the Lord, to be kept for your generations. Wow. Now, here we go. Now, all of a sudden, they got provision, they got food and water, and uh, now we're going to see something very interesting here. Um, How long did the children of Israel eat manna? 
Mm. 40 years, you know. In Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, the manna ceased. So now they're in the promised land, and the manna ceased, and they can live off the land, off the land of milk and honey. Amen. I like that half and half of my coffee in the morning, and then honey at night with my tea. So the land of milk and honey is very, very personal for me. So once again, the manna ceased after that. Very interesting. Uh, Now they're going to grow up. They're going to graduate to growing and farming, and that's going to be really good. And uh, in Exodus 17, 3, it doesn't stop here. What accusation was made against Moses by the people about how they were going to die? It says, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this, that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So he's going to smite the rock, just like he, he smite the Nile River with the rod. And uh, what was the name of the place where Moses struck the rock? Uh, Masa and Meribah, which is uh, the words in Hebrew mean tempted and contention. Remember, the Lord doesn't tempt us. Right. You know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil in the Lord's prayer. The Lord does not tempt us. And and so uh, if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And this, there, in there's this a case, way out. There is a way out. Like Joseph, you know, when he ran, you know, Potiphar's wife held on to that coat, but he got out of there. Yeah, in, in this case, the word masa there, meaning tempted, is actually because the children of Israel tempted the Lord. It says, um, because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Wow. Yeah. You know, and so here we go. You're not only dealing with the people, like me as a pastor, I have to deal with the people, but I also have an enemy, Ryan. Amen. And so as I learn how to manage people, take care of people, meet their needs, meet with them, talk with them, you know, be like a referee, uh, Dr. Phil, whatever I got to be, right? Uh, the thing is that uh, I have an enemy. And so what enemy came to, to Rephidim to fight against Israel? Amalek. <clears throat> Amalek, the grandson of Esau. Amen. The Amalekites. And uh, when Joshua fought with Amalek, who did Moses bring with him to the top of the hill? Uh, he brought Aaron and Hur. Aaron and her, and what do they do, Ryan? So they they uh, they brought up a stone for uh, Moses to sit on because what was happening is when Moses's hands were raised, um, in uh, verse seventeen twelve, uh, it says this. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and her stayed up his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so basically, when his hands went up. Uh, Joshua and the children of Israel prevailed, and when his hands went down, uh, Amalek prevailed. Interesting. You know, in Exodus 17.10, I believe even 17.8 with Joshua, this is the first time that Joshua is mentioned, Ryan, from the tribe of Ephraim. Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. Think about that. Joshua is an Ephraimite? He's an Ephraimite. Now, what I love about Joshua, he's a picture of us, Ryan. I'll tell you why. Because he was in Egypt, just like we were. He comes out into the wilderness for 40 years, just like we are, but yet he goes into the promised land. Guess what, brother? Hallelujah. We are going into the promised land. Come on. Now, did Joshua and the children of Israel defeat Amalek in Exodus 17, 13? Uh, Yes, they did. It says, And Joshua discomfited, which is a good King James word, Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. I'll tell you what, Ryan. This is a good, good, good teaching right here. This is a good, good way of saying, hey, are you ready to face the enemy and defeat him so that you can get your inheritance, your heirs according to the promise? Are you ready to fight the enemy? Are you willing to fight for the promised land? That's where it's at. And so what did Moses name the altar he built? Uh, this is going to be Yahweh Nisi, uh, which is the Lord is my banner. 
Exodus 17, 15. Yeah, the Lord is my banner. Boy, I tell you, we can't brag enough on our father. We cannot brag enough. And Ryan, the thing we got to remember about the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, you know, they were truly helpless and God created that. And Ryan, I got my best deliverance from being helpless. Amen. And even now in the society in which we live and all the things we have around us and all the things we get to choose and do, we need to say, Father, we are helpless without you. Well, truly, we only, we, deceive our, we only deceive ourselves when we say that we're not. And so with that, you know, we know in, in, the, in this question number 57 in Exodus 17, 16, how long will the Lord have war with Amalek? From generation to generation. Now, if you break this down in the Hebrew, listen to this. This is what your enemy wants to do. Because the hand of Amalek is against the throne of the Lord. So the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? He has an enemy. This spirit of Amalek, and, and, and I'll tell you, uh, listening to the Land of Israel Network, they brought some really good things to light dealing with Amalek. They say, you know, Amalek is like ice cold water. You're on fire. You love the Lord. You're Amen. on fire. You're excited. And someone just comes along and wants to try to put you out like Amalek. He, wanna, he, he just wants to put your fire out. You know what? But you know what I say? Sound the alarm. Call the fire department because I'm on fire. Yeah, yeah. Whoop, whoop. Call the fire department. Because the hand of Amalek is against the throne of the Lord. Think about that. Against and, his authority. And his it's dominion. true that we fight the spirit of Amalek from generation to generation because there's always a naysayer. There's always somebody trying to say, no, you can't do that. Or no, that's not what, you know, did God really say that? There's always the doubter and the hater. And, uh, and our job is to keep our eye on the pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. To, to take the leading of God, the Holy Spirit um, that indwells us and get rid of the familiar spirits, get rid of the unloving spirit. The unloving spirit's a, a hot topic right now at Beit Tehillah. We've been talking uh, a lot about it uh, this past week. Um, you know, Hopefully very soon we'll have uh, the message posted on the commandment of love where we went through, uh, was it John 14 through 17? I mean, we went through all those chapters, John 14 through 17, because, you know, uh, these are awesome chapters talking about the deliverance that, that Yeshua brings us. And so um, thanks for listening, guys. This has been uh, an awesome time for us. We're having a good time uh, reading and studying the Torah. Remember, the Torah is simple and yet profound all at the same time, that the, we can read it on a surface level and we can dig in uh, very deep. And so we just want to show you guys uh, every week, week in and week out, that the Torah is not something to be leery of or afraid of, but that it, it has the real substance of God's principles in it and that it's something to be excited about, to look forward to. And we really look forward to these podcasts every week, as I hope you guys do too. And so uh, bless you guys. Uh, we pray for you. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so, uh, again, through our website at topraise.net. You can email us at info at topraise.net. Uh, and that gets to us. And also you can call the office uh, and reach us by phone at 813-654-2222. Have a blessed week, guys.